God, you would speak to your people through your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now can you give him a big clap offering of praise? Oh, can you give him a clap offering of praise tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have you been seeking the Lord lately, saints? Have you been seeking the Lord? Elizabeth, babe, would you do me a favor? Would you give me a bottle of water? I forgot to grab one. I thank you so much, honey. Have you been seeking the face of God through this time? I don't know about you, but in this season where pastor's been preaching on never give up, I've gotten a lot of fresh revelation the last couple of weeks. Is anybody on that boat? You've gotten some fresh revelation concept of never give up don't let go don't throw in the towel you ever had those moments where you were watching your children play sports and you knew that that game was over but you being the loving parents Walked up to your child, they had tears in their eyes. You smiled at them and said, You know what? It ain't over until it's over. I'll never forget when I was maybe seven or eight years old. My dad, Pastor Bynum, took me to my first ever Cincinnati Reds game at the Riverfront Coliseum. It was the year 1990. Wow, that's been 30 years ago. 30 years ago, 1990. That stadium was one of the most grandest things I'd ever seen in my life. I looked down at that field, that ball diamond. Riverfront Stadium, the fishbowl, one of the last of the fishbowl style stadiums as they called them. It's been imploded now. It's been destroyed. They built them a new stadium, and I thought it was supposed to make them help them play better. <laughs> they built two stadiums. They tore down Riverfront and built two stadiums. I thought it was supposed to help the teams play better, but that's a different sermon. I was at that Cincinnati Reds game, and it was a doubleheader. It's a Friday night, I think it was. And they were playing a team called the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, mind you, this was about halfway through the baseball season of 1990. And you Reds fans know the end of the story of 1990. That's the year the Reds won the World Series. But before they had to, but I remember that night with Pastor Ron being the trooper he was, it was a doubleheader, Jason. Two three-hour games. And he being the trooper he was, let us stay for both of the games. A pitcher that Cincinnati had, a guy by the, by the name of Jose Rijo at the time was a great pitcher. But he threw an awful start to that first game. They took him out after like three innings. It was a lousy night. 
Oh, it, it was it was rough. The Reds did absolutely nothing with the bats. You got to realize something. The Pittsburgh Pirates, if you're a baseball fan at all, that's when they had their crazy team. They had guys like Bobby Bonilla playing for them. Remember, remember Bobby Bonilla? Oh, man, one of the great names of baseball at that time. These were legends on the field. The Reds were clobbered both of those games. They were clobbered. But see, that was only halfway through the season. And 1990 was the year the Reds won the World Series. But before they beat the Oakland Athletics in the World Series, they had to beat somebody in their own league. You know what team that was? It was the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'll never forget it as long as I am alive. I believe Barry Bonds or Bobby Bonilla had hit what they thought was going to be a home run. And this huge center fielder by the name of Glenn Braggs ran up the wall and stole a home run away from Bobby Bonilla or Barry Bonds. Oh, that was the craziest move. Dad and I were talking that night when the Reds had won. See, at that game he took me to, there were these two men who were Pittsburgh fans. And they were just having a good old time up in the stands behind us. The one had a cowbell and they were hitting homer after homer and waving that cowbell. Pastor asked me when the Pittsburgh Pirates lost the conference or league championship, he said, I wonder what those guys think right now. I wonder what they're doing right now. They're not ringing that cowbell really loud right now, are they? No. They're crying in their Cheerios. Let me tell you something, saints of God. This is a day and this is an hour where it looks like we have been hit from one side to the next. But this is a season where the church cannot give up. And understand, we may be have a time of weeping, but we can be of good courage to know that weeping can only endure through the night, but his joy is coming in the morning. Is anybody going to praise him and rejoice while we're waiting for the morning? The end result is not here, saints of God. The end result is not here, saints of God. This is only the beginning. Amen. As the old preacher used to say, I've read the back of the book and I found out that we win. Anybody glad that we win tonight? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Can you give the Lord one more hand clap of praise? I've got to get into my message. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you would go with me very quickly to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Thank you, honey, for the water. Amen. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship tonight. Really appreciate that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 says this. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want to read those verses of Scripture one more time. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secrets will reward you openly. Will reward you openly. I'd kind of like, in all actuality, I'd kind of like to go in a little bit of a, a 2.1 in pastor series. It's kind of like a little bit of a, uh, kind of like a go-between when it comes down to the series that pastor's preaching. And in all honesty, I, I, I want to kind of echo the never give up Series. If, he, if you don't mind me kind of riding your coattails a little bit tonight and kind of borrowing a little bit from the, from the mentor tonight. Amen. Amen. I want to preach just a little bit on the concept of, of never give up. But there, there's these two functions of the church that has been kind of stirring a little bit in my spirit, guys. It has been, if I can take just kind of a comfortable moment and kind of rip snort with you for just a second. Has this season, I'm going to stand right here so I honor physical distancing. Has anybody found themselves in a season where you have literally found yourself to where your, let's say you have recalibrated your thinking a little bit. And now it's, it's like the focal point has changed a little bit to where I have found myself the understanding that it's not about going to church. It is definitely more about being the church. It's definitely been a season about being the church. Now, in order for a Christian to be a biblical Christian, there is a need for them to function as a piece and portion of the body. We are the body of Christ. And what happens is all this diversity that I was talking about earlier, it's like we come together and we make this unified purpose. You know what's so cool? Ministries like the prayer team are unified with children's ministries. We operate in different forms and functions, but we all have the same mission and the same goal and the same plan. 
Isn't that awesome about the body of Christ? Can I take a moment, just kind of pine on that for a minute, think that's just awesome, that the body of Christ looks at all walks of life and socioeconomic standings and doesn't look at them as like, okay, you're in this category, you're in this category, but God looks at us as a whole and says, all of you are part of my body. And I want to tell you something tonight, you are an important piece of that body. You serve an important function to that body. You serve an important role to that body. You are not, you, you know what you're doing? You're not working and laboring for Rodney Pike Church of God. You're working and laboring through Rodney Pike Church of God. And through the ministry covering of Rodney Pike Church of God, you're fulfilling the plan of Christ. Can I ask somebody a question tonight? Who wants to be in the plan of Christ this evening? That's what this season has done. I believe it has woken up some folks and realized, hey, I, I need to jump on board with what the Lord is doing because I've tried my way far too long. I've tried my plan far too long and there's something I've learned. My plan doesn't work. Who? I, I mean, heaven's sakes, my plan, I can't even go to Taco Bell and be normal these days. My plan doesn't work at all. But, but, but as I've said many times before through this season, what's so cool about the way God does is when the world's in the wacky place he does his best but there's these two functions these two happenings for us to be members of the body of Christ there's two functions there's two happenings there is a separation and then there is a connection there's a breaking away, and then there is a connection. You remember those magnet toys? They kind of look like batteries. You remember those things? And there were these crazy strong magnets. And if you ever sat them on the same table, they would spin, and it's like they would begin to pull close to each other because that was their function was to connect. And when they were divided, it's like there was a realization that they had a purpose, and it was to connect. Let me tell you something. If you're weak in the faith, I just want to throw this sidebar in. I don't know why I want to throw this sidebar in. If you need encouragement in the faith, honey, you need to get connected to the body of Christ. The body of Christ was intended to build one another up and to strengthen one another. And I don't know how anybody maintains spiritual vitality without being connected to the body of Christ. Oh, you're here on a Wednesday night. You can give God an extra shout and an extra praise this evening. Amen. But there's a disconnect and then there is a reconnect. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking these words and culturally as a Bible reader you can look at them and you can, you, you can give the notation that there is a lesson in hypocrisy and there's a lesson in arrogance. Obviously. There's a lesson in not being arrogant and prideful over how much that you pray. Not being arrogant over how spiritual you are not being arrogant over how much you are doing so called for the body of Christ you want to know how burnout happens it's when we lose focus as to who we're really doing it for 
It's a loss of focus as to who we are truly laboring for. But it's a lesson on arrogance, obviously. On, on being, not being hypocritical and being loud and proud with your prayers and being arrogant with your, 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 your prayers. And have you ever gone to church with that individual? It's, of course, not at this church, but at the other church. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? That, uh, you know, that sister so and so is just going to linger a little while longer at the altar. You know who I'm talking to? That, that little sister so and so is kind of looking around to see, okay, am I the last one up? Am I the, I'm, I'm the most saved if I'm the last one up or that brother so and so who walks up to the pastor and says pastor God woke me up at 1.30 in the morning uh, didn't let me go back to sleep till 5 o'clock in the morning uh, and then he took me into the word for 3 hours uh, to share this very word with you it is obviously that kind of stuff that Jesus was trying to get people to divert from those behaviors but there's another side to the message of those two verses of scripture it's a breaking away of hypocrisy, but it's also a declaration saying that there's power in the prayer closet. There's an empowerment and a strengthening that happens inside of the prayer closet. Kind of makes you think a little bit of the old uh, Superman movies. How, how he would go, Clark Kent would go, and somebody would be hanging from a large high tower building or, or a bus was getting ready to go off the side of a bridge and Clark Kent didn't want to reveal his identity, so what would he do? He would go and try to find a phone booth. And he would go into that phone booth and he would take his, he, you know, Clark Kent must have had a lot of suits. Because if you ever noticed, Superman never went and got his suits back. Did you ever notice that? Clark Kent must have had like some kind of a, a, a running credit line going to J.C. Penney. Now what's going to happen is some super, so, some comic book nerd is going to watch the live feed. Uh, it's going to call me on my theological Clark Kent mistake and show me a time where Clark Kent went back and got his suit. Oh yeah, they're going to call me, hey, wait a second, source credibility, Pastor Micah, on this. Uh, there were times that Clark Kent did go back and get his suits. Uh, but Superman would step into that phone booth. Uh, he would take off the outer clothes to reveal the big uh, Superman logo on his chest. Uh, and we knew in those movies and in those cartoons, honey, something was getting ready to go down uh, when Clark Kent ripped open his shirt and began to go down to his Superman outfit. Uh, honey, I think that's what the prayer closet does for the children of God. Uh, it takes us in one way but brings us out a much more empowered way. Uh, that's what I believe is happening in this time and in this season uh, is that the church is waking up to the fact uh, that God does have a plan. Uh, he does have a mission. He does have an empowerment. Uh, and where we're going to discover that is in the prayer closet. So now, it is not just a matter of saying that arrogance, fighting arrogance, but letting folks know that inside of the prayer closet is a time of discovering revelation of the plan and the purpose that God has for you. It's a time where we realize what God is wanting to do. You know what happens in the prayer closet, my friends? Broken marriages are restored in the prayer closet. You know 
know what happens in the prayer closet? Uh, sons and daughters are saved. Uh, you know what happens in the prayer closet? Wisdom over finances uh, begins to be revealed in the prayer closet. Uh, the prayer closet is a place of transformation for the children of God. Uh, we've got connection with the Father in the prayer closet. In Psalms chapter 91 and verse 1, it simply states, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You see, there's secrecy in relationship with God. See, God begins to deal with the things that men are unaware of in the secret place, in the prayer closet. He begins to lay things upon our hearts that maybe we haven't told anybody about. He begins to heal the wounds and the scars that nobody is aware of, that we've never revealed to anybody. He begins to dig down deep into the most depth of our hearts and begins to touch the hardest places. That's what happens in the prayer closet. But see, the word declares dwelling in the secret place, but then it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The breaking away and the coming back together. You see what's happening is that when we break away, the pieces and parts are being exhorted to and being built up. But as we begin to come together, oh my gosh, can you imagine this right now? When a group of church people come out of their prayer closets uh, and begin to unite with a purpose uh, and with a plan, uh, you wonder how we're going to be able to bridge gaps. i tell you where you find them. You'll find them in the prayer closet. He'll give wisdom in the, see the Holy Ghost is good at his job. The Holy Ghost is good at his job and he has an ability to bridge gaps through generations. Frankly, I don't know how to minister to this generation and frankly, I don't know how to answer all of their questions. See, what's happening is people are losing a dependency upon the flesh and gaining a dependency upon God. And see what happens, the more you yield to God, the more he begins to speak through you and the more he begins to use you and all of a sudden we're making connections and contacts and impacts that we never thought were possible. Yes, amen. Praise God. I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> amen. But there's a breaking away and then, then there's a joining and a reconnecting coming back together. In order for either to work and to be functional, both have to happen. Both have to happen. It is impossible for us to live solely upon the assembly together. And, can I get a little controversial? It's impossible to live without the assembly. You ever, you ever had those times where you just couldn't wait to talk to somebody who was on the same page with you? You know that one that'll like every single meme you put out on Facebook? 
You know that individual who understands that demented sense of humor you have? That crazy sense of humor you have and when nobody else will laugh at it, but you know they'll give you a laugh? Hallelujah. Lord, forgive me of this and don't judge me, church, but when I was a, when I was a young evangelist, I used to look through the crowd and be like, okay, who can I pray? Well, I was really young I did this. Not recently, okay? I used to look through the crowd and be like, who can I pray for? Who's going to give me a good shout to get this thing going? You know, because you got to find that connection. You got to find, there's, there's, there's something about the connection that brings a whole lot of encouragement to you. It brings a whole lot of encouragement to you. It makes you just feel so good on the inside. But then at times there's connection that brings honesty in a loving way to you. All of a sudden, you know, you ever had your mail read by a loving brother or sister of the faith? And all of a sudden, you realize, hey, wait a second here. There's something here that I've, I better start analyzing. I better start taking a look at in my life. Somebody has given me some godly wisdom on. It's the need, the power of the connection. You ever come to church and been so weighed down and beat down, but then you come to the altar and people begin to pray with you and you begin to be built up. There begins to be a power that begins to flow through because it's the power of connection. But have you ever been at a time where you have been home and the devil has been in your head so badly but you get into the word of God and you begin to pray and the truth begins to rise up and you begin to declare the truth and all of a sudden there in your home the atmosphere begin to shift and things begin to change and the devil's lies begin to become a little bit dim and you can't hear his old nasty voice any longer but you realize the victory you have in Jesus Christ because there's power in the connect but there's power in the disconnect also hallelujah I would wonder if you'd go with me tonight to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 it says starting at verse 31 it says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he, Saul, sent for him David. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Yeah. We all know who him was at that time. It was Goliath. Yeah. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. See, in the alone times, there's a shaping and a molding and a forging beginning to take place. It was in the pasture with his father's flock that David that began to forge a great faith to look at a giant and have such a verbiage. Do you realize that the verbiage of David in this account of scripture is a sermon within itself? You ever look at this account of David and Goliath and realize that David's verbiage could preach a sermon all within itself? Uh, due to the fact uh, that one thing he never referred to Goliath as. Uh, any of my people know what he never called him? He never called him a giant. He never called him great. He never called him strong. He never called him intimidating. The only thing he referred to him was the uncircumcised Philistine or this Philistine. You know what David was saying? That though he was great in size and stature and strength, he's still just a Philistine. You want to know something about else about David's verbiage? Uh, is that he made a declaration. He referred to the army, not as Saul's army. He didn't refer to them as the army of Israel. He didn't refer to a country. Uh, he didn't refer to a region or to a location. Uh, the only thing David referred to that army was, was the army of the Lord. Uh, therefore, this giant who thinks he's going to intimidate Israel, no, he's just a Philistine that's standing in front of the army of the Lord. David's verbiage alone could preach in that particular time. His reference to the fact that God was going to be with him, it was never a sign of fear or a sign of anxiety. But that faith did not begin at the sight of the giant because David was already a giant killer before he ever faced Goliath. Goliath was defeated when David was still hauling the bread and cheese to his brothers. Giant killing happens in the prayer closet. The faith of a giant killer begins to rise up in the alone times. You know what the prayer closet can also represent? It can represent the place where man has rejected us and exiled us into, stating that you're not qualified. We all know the happening where God had chosen a king out of the sons of Jesse. We know that happening. And all the sons were there but none of them were the ones God had chosen oh but there was one that had not been called into the house he was out serving he was doing the uncommon thing that is where faith rises up in the alone time making a connection with God Hallelujah. praise God and now here we have the case scenario where God desires to use David as a giant slayer 
And see what happens in the prayer closet is God begins to open up the doors. And we don't open up the doors to be released out of our prayer closets. Many times, sometimes we'll share vision, we'll share callings, we'll share things, and the testament out of our mouths is maybe just a little premature. It's just not quite time for it yet but saints I want to let you know something protect your vision until God opens up the door I want you to protect your vision until God opens up the door for you to begin to share it for you to begin to share it because something hit me about that lion and bear that we have preached on so much in the account of David and Goliath David's faith was built up by a lion and a bear that Saul never saw. Saul's physical eyes never saw the lion and the bear. Therefore, David had to speak in faith and declare, you know what God's doing in the prayer closet? He's getting your testimony ready. He's getting a testimony ready in the prayer closet because that testimony is going to lead to the king giving you blessing. At an hour where it is not an option, but it's imperative because what it led to, David's testimony of faith about the lion and the bear led to Saul making the greatest move he ever made in his leadership and in his administration when he told David to go and fight Goliath. He told David to go and fight Goliath. God had forged that testimony and began to put that testimony together. Woo, glory. Woo. You thought, you thought, oh, they, they, they thought they were hiding me out in the pasture. No, 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 no. No, you, you gave me an opportunity to become a giant slayer out in the pasture because I realized something. Do you see what happens here? It's kind of like there's a stair step of faith that begins to take place. See, what happens, victories are not won in public first. Victories are won in private first. And the private victories are what lead to the public victories. You want to get to a place where people are declaring that that David slays his, I forget what they said, tens of thousands. Oh, Saul slays his thousands, but David slays his tens of thousands. Do you know what leads to a giant being beheaded? It's those private times where you say, God, I don't care who sees me. I don't care who knows me, but I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to glorify you because you're getting a testimony ready. You're getting a testimony ready that's going to be needed to slay a giant. Hallelujah. Oh. And the discouragement never got to David. His brother tried to discourage him. There's something we forget culturally about the account of David and Goliath is this was not the first time David and Saul knew each other. That in fact, remember, you know, little David, play on your harp, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Saul had that tormenting spirit and David played for him. When Eliab was scolding David, now this will preach right here, that David would leave the palace and go feed his father's flocks. But that's a different sermon. But when Eliab scolded him, he degraded David by only bringing up the sheep that he left behind and saying, you left the few sheep behind to come out here to check out what's going on in the battlefield. Kind of reminds you of a social media battle, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you ever want to make do one of those Facebook replies to somebody be like, okay, how many PhDs you got? Oh, don't tell me I'm the only one. Come on, don't, don't get self-righteous on me, church of God. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. Be like, be like you, do, do, are, are you, are you like an archaeologist or something? Because you know everything about history. You, do, do you have a hotline to the White House? Because you think you know everything that goes on there. Do you like have conversations with congressmen? Because you act like you know everything about policies. You know? My God, you look good for your age. You think you know what happened 2,000 years ago? You look good for your age. Oh, yeah, the, see, see the, the scolding happening and the defeat happening. I know it sounds kind of funny right now, but it's, it's the honest truth. And in all honesty, Christians, I know this is an, an exhorting line to use, but the debates are going to increase. This time next year, I believe within the next two to five years, Christians will be at the greatest obstacles they will be at. But I encourage you now to get the giant slaying power ready in the secret places. And in all honesty, we're not hidden from it here in small town USA anymore. <laughs> we're not. We, we used to kind of be on our own little corner of the world. Now, the world's come to us. But it's kind of like that old song says, the world didn't give it, so the world can't take it away. And now is the hour to let our faith be built. But see, what happens is in the disconnect, God opens the door for the connect. Because where everybody left you behind at, I know we're not in a youth service, but all those parties you weren't invited to because you were a Christian, you know, all those things that people would say, I'm not having you come over, you were a Christian, then you found yourself at home praying and reading the word of God. Bishop T.D. Jake says guys wouldn't invite him to come shoot hoops. He said he was praying and reading his Bible. In those seasons and in those times, God's building. He's getting us ready. There's disconnect, but then there's also connect. Would, would you stand with me, saints? Would you stand with me tonight?